Hi, this is James Clary from the Clarification Podcast. We really appreciate you sharing and watching our videos. If you feel so inclined, we could really use your help. You know, we spend hours and sometimes days researching these topics. And as much as we love it, we could really use your support. If you're on Spotify, go to our channel and there's a link where you can donate. Or if you're inclined, go to our website, which is clarification, that's C-L-A-R-Y, vacation.com, and there's a one-time donation button for PayPal. We really appreciate your support. And now, our feature presentation. Now. Hey, everybody. It's the Clarification Podcast. I'm your host, James Clary, along with my partner in crime, Russell West. How are you, Russell? We're doing well. We've got an incredible show today. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, just issued an interim update, uh, drinking water health advisory for uh, purofluorotonic acid, PFOAs, and POF, PFOSs. The update advisory, which are based on new science and consider lifetime exposure, indicate that some, ne some negative health effects may occur with concentrations of these two chemicals in the water that are near zero. And we are so excited that the man who is in great part responsible for this important EPA advisory joins us now lawyer robert billet billot right billot correct robert a lot right billot thank Good. you thank <laughs> you so much for joining us man yeah we totally appreciate it and you know i know you've done this a thousand times but you know every every podcast or every radio show reaches a little different audience so if you wouldn't mind as briefly as you can because we have uh, i mean <laughs> We have so many questions for you, yeah. but to just tell us the story on how you got caught up in what turns out to be a landmark legal case involving one of the largest chemical companies in the world and the potential poisoning of not only local water supplies and here in the U.S., but global water supplies. Sure. You know, I first got involved in this, gosh, uh, 24 years ago. It was in 1998. I got a call and a gentleman on the other end of the line um, identified himself as a farmer in West Virginia who was calling me trying to find help to figure out why his cows were dying on his property. And it's not the kind of thing I typically did. I was actually working at a law firm uh, where we typically represented big chemical companies, um, but he indicated he was calling from Parkersburg, West Virginia, which was a town I knew well. My mom had grown up there. We spent a lot of time there as a kid. And we agreed to, to, to look into what was happening there. And in short, what we found out was there was a chemical that had been dumped into a landfill next to this farmer's property in West Virginia, a chemical known as PFOA, perfluorooctanoic acid. And this was a chemical invented right after World War II by 3M. And they were selling large quantities of it to DuPont, and they were using it to make Teflon. And what we discovered was this was a chemical that had gone essentially unregulated. It came out before a lot of the EPA rules and regulations rolled out in the 70s and 80s. 
And um, what we saw was there was a lot known about the toxicity of the chemical, incredibly toxic, persistent, bioaccumulative, carcinogenic, but it had escaped regulation because of when it came out and the fact that the companies that were making and handling it knew a lot about it, but unfortunately withheld that data. And so we spent oh, the next 20 years really trying to get that story out to the public, to scientists, uh, to regulators, because what we were seeing indicated a massive worldwide public health threat. This stuff wasn't just in water that these cows were drinking in West Virginia. This chemical and related family of chemicals we call PFAS, or forever chemicals, because they stay out in the environment forever, have been used in a massive array of different products, stain-resistant, waterproof clothing, carpeting, fast food packaging, firefighting foams, computer chips, and this stuff had managed to get out into the water, air, soil, all over the planet over the last 70 years in massive quantities such that it was basically contaminating the entire planet. Wow. And in fact, these chemicals had made their way into the blood of virtually every person on the planet. And had gone really unrecognized. Uh, regulator scientists didn't even know about this until this information started to come out as a result of these lawsuits. So really, over the last 20 years, doing what I can to raise awareness of the fact that these chemicals exist, their threat to human health and the environment. And as you indicated, we, um, we saw a pretty substantial recognition of that finally by the US EPA just last week when they publicly announced that based on the science that's out there, uh, they're essentially concerned about any detectable level under current detection limits, any detectable level of this stuff um, being found in the drinking water. So is that really large... glad to be able to, to be here to talk about it today. Is that largely due to your efforts? Well, it's certainly we have uh, been working on that since, gosh, 2001, I think, is the, when I first sent my letter to the U.S. EPA alerting them that this chemical was out there. It was likely in drinking water and that they needed to do something to investigate it and to take steps to protect people. And I think what you see when you look at the story, you know, that's laid out in you know, the film Dark Waters or the documentary The Devil We Know, or in this book I, I put together Exposure to kind of tell you how did this happen? What you see is it was incredibly difficult to get this story out and to get the scientific information out and how difficult it is to regulate chemicals yeah. like this. One of the things I found most admirable and fascinating was you you filed a class action suit with a team of lawyers against DuPont and I don't know maybe 3M I don't remember if they were in or not but the gist of it was you won the case but several of the plaintiffs actually gave up some of their payment in lieu of a scientific study that took seven years can you expand on that a little bit for the audience yeah, you know, we, we first brought a class action lawsuit against DuPont in 2001, trying to really make sure we could get the drinking water cleaned up. Once we found out this chemical had seeped into the drinking water of tens of thousands of people along the Ohio River outside of Parkersburg. Um, but so once we were able to settle that case with DuPont in 2004, one of the other things we wanted to do besides getting it out of the water was resolve once and for all whether this chemical could in fact cause human harm. DuPont had been de 
disputing that despite what their own documents and scientists were saying. So we set up a panel under the settlement. Uh, we had $70 million that had been paid by DuPont, and we used that money, and the, the community, the class members all agreed to this, to use that money to actually collect blood samples and health data from exposed people. We had 69,000 people who participated, and it was giving all that data over to these independent scientists that we were finally able to independently confirm what we've been seeing in the company's own documents for decades. And that was a that pretty revolutionary was linked with disease. Yeah. And that was a really revolutionary way of handling a class action suit. Wasn't it at the time? It was, uh, I don't know if anybody had done that before, uh, but you know, by, by doing that, we were able to confirm the links with disease um, and do it through independent scientists that both sides, you know, could Sick. agree yeah. had gotten the right answer. Six specific diseases, if I remember right, including uh, colon cancer, testicular cancer. Uh, what, what, what were the other ones? The six diseases were actually kidney cancer kidney. and testicular okay. cancer, those two cancers, and then thyroid disease, preeclampsia, high cholesterol, and ulcerative colitis. You know, kind of a broad range of different diseases, but it's because of the way these chemicals behave in the body. When they get in us, they, they get into our blood and they build up over time. They stay there and they build up. They persist and accumulate. So the stuff coats our, our organs over time, which uh -huh. leads to all these different health impacts. And since then, uh, scientists are really concerned because they've also found that these chemicals are linked to decreasing our immune system and impairing the effectiveness of vaccines. Wow. You know, here's a chemical in drinking water all over the planet, in human blood all over the planet that can have those kinds of effects while a pandemic's going on. Yeah. You know, why aren't we talking about that? So it's um, been very frustrating because it's hard to <laughs> yeah. get this story out. Well, and the, and the other thing, I mean, that's just what they found. But I think we know from anecdotal evidence, like the film, which both your book, which Russell has read, I have not. Uh, I've watched both films. I just watched the documentary, The Devil We Know, yesterday and really encouraged my audience to buy your book, um, Exposure, and to watch the film. The Dark Waters is incredible. Mark Ruffalo plays you in the film. But like this Bucky Bailey and the, the birth mm -hmm. defects that DuPont knew about. They pulled these pregnant women from the line. So, and that wasn't even mentioned in this panel and poor Mr. Bailey. And I'm sure thousands of others families have just suffered horribly. Yeah, really, really disturbing. As you indicated, you know, some of the very first studies that were done internally by DuPont actually looked at, what does this chemical do to, to pregnant women who are exposed? You know, there were women working on this Teflon line. And what they found was they had two out of seven women who had, who had given birth to children with eye defects, the same kind of problem that they had already seen happening in the rats, um, but they didn't really tell them. So as part of this big health study, that was one of the things we looked into. But unfortunately, even with 70,000 people, we still didn't have a big enough population size to be mm -hmm. able to confirm the birth defect issue. Yeah, you may not have had enough pregnant women. And then the, the I think her name was Kathleen Forte, the public relations specialist from DuPont said, well, two out of seven, you know, that's not st statistically significant. And I'm <laughs> thinking of high school math. Exactly. I'm thinking that's pretty statistically significant. So I it the film just is disturbing 
Robert. I don't know how else to put it. And I mean, we're, we were so happy to get you on because to us, you're a hero. One of the things we've talked about on the show, and I'm going to go right into this, Russell, but I've, I want to get your opinion on this. We feel that we're very pro-environmentalists. We grew up in the Ozarks. It's a beautiful area. I spent my time floating on crystal clear rivers and lakes and just loved hiking in the forest. And we're pro-environment. But it seems like the last decade, all we've heard about is climate change. And I'm not going to dismiss the impact of possible anthropomorphic uh, pomorphic climate change that man's had an effect on the climate. But it seems to me that instead of focusing on these really important issues like clean drinking water, everything, the whole public eye has shifted to climate change. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Obviously, climate change is, is a concern, but we've got this serious major issue going on with things that we're doing you know, we're, we're, this is man-made created chemicals. These things didn't exist on the planet prior to, to man creating them in the 1940s. And we know that they're toxic and bioaccumulative and carcinogenic, and we know they're in drinking water in everybody's blood. You know, these are things we should be able to, 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 to clearly focus on and figure out ways to fix, you know, to stop pumping these out and to, to, feel, to, to deal with how do we clean them up. Yeah. Yet those issues have been largely ignored. Uh, those are things that just don't seem to resonate. Um, you know, if, if they don't really generate the same level of concern with the media, with the public. You know, and maybe there it's it's difficult to even pronounce you know, these chemical names. Right. You can't smell them. You can't you can't taste them. You can't you can't uh, see them. Uh, so it's easy to just ignore it. Uh, you know, when these uh, these things build up, but it's it's a huge problem infecting our environment as well do you think it's the problem is too big like is there what's the way out of it well you know and uh, unfortunately that's that's almost one of the arguments that the manufacturers really were trying to push for many years uh you know that these chemicals have been put into so many products they're used by so many companies in so many places around the world it's almost like we're too big to regulate and this is too big of an issue to take on. If you do this, you're going to destroy the economy because you won't be able to get you know, your dental floss or your, your cookware and all of these other items. But I think um, you know, that argument is starting to finally sort of fall by the wayside as people realize the massive public health impact here. You know, when you talk about cancers and, and other health issues you know, on global scale, uh, the costs of some of these non-essential products start to pale in comparison. Yeah, and that, you know, when you, you were just talking about in the media, and I immediately thought of media collusion because it does seem that the media, however, colludes with certain aspects of big business. But I also want to talk about you and your good friend, Robert Kennedy, who I know has been, Junior, has been a co-counsel and as a friend of yours, which I'm just jealous because he's another one of my heroes, but I wanted to talk, and he's really educated me a lot in listening to him on regulatory capture. Now, I know that DuPont had hired a former, I believe, deputy director of the EPA. Can you tell our audience right. a little bit about how regulatory capture, define a little bit, and, and how it is played in this particular event? 
Yeah, it's a huge issue. And, and that, in fact, it's one of the main reasons I wanted to sit down and write the book Exposure was just so wow. people could understand how something like this happens, you know, particularly in modern day United States. You know, I don't know how often I get people who come up and say, you know, how could something like this actually happen? With, yeah. we, we've got regulatory agencies and folks like that. Well, part of the problem is this, this what you just mentioned, regulatory capture. When you've got representatives from these companies who are supposed to be being regulated that actually become the heads of the regulators. They leave the company and actually run the regulatory agencies or vice versa. You have sort of this um, reverse revolving door where the regulators um, end up cutting deals and then going to work for these companies. You know, we saw it quite vividly here in this case where you had lawyers that were actually representing DuPont at a West Virginia law firm that helped set up this uh, an entire deal with a regulatory agency. They, they, they drafted the whole entire agreement about how this would be researched. They then left the law firm and became the heads of the West Virginia EPA, oh God, the head of the air division, the head of the water division, the, hair, the head of the legal division, and ultimately the head of the entire West Virginia EPA. And then you had Mike and, McCabe and, too, right? Exactly. At the federal level, you had a former U.S. EPA high-ranking official who left the agency and then became a consultant for DuPont on these issues. So it it becomes, you know, incredibly difficult because you have these rules and regulations in place, but then how they're actually implemented um, (laughs) tends to vary a lot depending on who's got the contacts with which officials. And, you know, you've got this problem where you have companies that begin doing, and, you know, I know Bobby Kennedy has talked about this a lot, externalizing their costs, you mm-hmm. know, the costs associated with these chemicals, the pollution, the health impacts, they don't pay those. Those are forced onto the communities. All of us the have been exposed without yeah. our knowledge for decades, right? And then what you see happen is once we finally realize this is going on, And, you know, we just saw President Biden say, you know, we've got a a national PFAS issue and Mm -hmm. uh, dedicating $10 billion under the infrastructure bill to address this. Yeah, that's great to to recognize it. But the concern is that's $10 billion of taxpayer dollars. Why are we not holding the companies who did this responsible for that? Yeah. Not to right. mention. So one of the things yeah, we're working ahead. on yeah. right now is we're representing states and water providers all over the country that are trying to make sure that those costs get put do not get pushed on to us, the taxpayers, the cities, the government, but that the companies who did this, knowing this was going to happen, you know, and the evidence is there from decades mm-hmm. of internal documents that they knew this yeah. was going to happen, yeah. that those companies be held responsible. And that's a huge fight going on in courtrooms all across the country right now. So how frustrating is it when you have the internal documents and that type of evidence and then you have this regulatory capture? How frustrating is it as a trial lawyer to take on this monster? <laughs> it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. In fact, you know, we finally got to the point where we were able to lay all of this evidence out in front of juries uh, in 2015. Right. And you see that at the end of the film, Dark Waters, yeah. where we finally uh, get into our first court cases. And what you saw, you know, these are weeks long trials, six weeks in one case, where when you lay it all out and you let people see 
what was actually in these documents, what these companies actually knew. Um, you know, we won every one of those trials. In fact, mm-hmm. in some of the later trials, there were even punitive damages verdicts. The juries found that the companies acted with conscious disregard of this of this evidence. So those were unanimous yeah, the decisions. story is pretty right. compelling. Yeah. Pardon? Those were unanimous like juries, weren't they? Towards the end? Um, well, yeah, the, in, 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 there were three cases that went to trial and all three juries came back with verdicts that DuPont had caused cancer mm-hmm. in the people that had been exposed. And then DuPont ended up settling the rest of them um, in the middle of the fourth trial. But, um, you know, that it's, it's, it's frustrating because it took a long time, you know, for that yeah. evidence to finally get revealed to the public. Is it getting easier now? Well, I think as that as that story has come out, not only has the evidence been shown to juries and the public, but it's getting to regulators. It's getting to the scientific community and through things like the film, Dark Waters and the documentary, Devil We Know in the book, you know, people are are seeing this story and and are speaking up and saying this is not the way it should work and we're seeing that have dramatic change i mean the rules and the laws are changing you know there are proposals to start really uh, tackling these much more aggressively and what we heard from epa last week was just the latest example of that you know where the epa is essentially saying we're really concerned, you know, about even the smallest levels of these chemicals um, and their potential impact on human health. So it's it's taken a long time, but it, the story's starting to come out and it's having hopefully some 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 positive impact to, to getting people protected from these finally. Yeah, it's awesome. And it seems like public awareness really is one of the key things that's going to move this forward. I want to just Back up a little bit more on the regulatory capture, because this is an issue. And honestly, I want to even make a little broader stroke. I want to say the capture of science in general. It just seems to me, and I I know it's not your wheelhouse, but I know your friend uh, Robert Kennedy, it is his wheelhouse. And you know how Pfizer has influenced the NIH and the AMA. And Dr. Malone just got a letter from the American Board of Internal Medicine and on and on. It just seems like corporations kind of control science. And as specifically to the revolving door in D.C., this has been on a, an issue of mine personally I've been screaming about for at least 10 years. Is there any thought, have you talked to anyone in D.C. about legislation that would make it illegal for current members or uh, past members of administration or the D.C. uh, proletariat to become corporate employees or vice versa. Is there any thoughts of some type of law that bans that? Well, you're you're hitting on an issue, I think, that's of great concern to a lot of folks. I mean, we saw this with these PFOS chemicals where, you know, when we finally were trying to, we finally saw what the internal studies were showing. What we also saw was a lot of that internal data wasn't being published. Yeah. You know, the companies were choosing what got published, and they essentially were seeding the literature. I mean, they were they were putting out into the journals things that help support their view. And so by the time, you know, the, this data was finally coming out, um, if somebody tried to publish an article, for example, saying that these chemicals were harmful, 
uh, and that was then sent to a journal, you know, a typical scientific journal. Right. Well, they would send it out for peer review. Well, guess who does the peer review? Oh, it's God. the people who published on that before. And, and who was that? Yeah. So what you saw happening was anybody that dared to disagree with the status quo of what the companies were publishing was labeled junk scientist, you know, or right. this was this was sham science. And, and, and so it, it's an incredibly difficult system to break through. And mm-hmm. that's why we, we tried to do something different with that scientific panel in West Virginia that we set up to look right. at PFOA. We wanted to make sure that the scientists could actually get their results revealed to the public and, and without having to go through this peer-reviewed scientific journal process that was controlled by the people that were making the chemicals. Yeah. And, and we succeeded. And they were able to do that work and get it published. And it did end up in peer-reviewed journals. But it wasn't subject to being squashed by the system that was, had typically been in place that prevented you know, anybody from challenging these kinds of views. So again, that's one of the things I really wanted to highlight in the book, you know, exposures, how that works and what the practical impact is. Because things, you know, that you would think the science is the science, right? The facts yeah. come out. Well, not necessarily. Right. It depends on who who owns the journal, who does yeah. the peer review, who can get those papers published or frankly kept from being published. So it's it's a it's a um, fascinating process, but one that people really need to be aware of how it works in the practical reality. And, and would you agree with me that it's much broader than just the chemical industry, that this goes on throughout science and throughout business and politics? You know, on that, I, my, my career has been focused on the chemical industry. I gotcha. So uh, I, I don't want to be surprised to, uh, to hear I, that. But um, yeah, I don't want to corner you and get, get your opinion on vaccines or anything like that. I promise <laughs> I won't do that because it's only fair that we keep you in, in the proper wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. Well, we I, got, I was curious while we touch on that. Uh, imagine, because I know that Pfizer and Moderna did have that kind of that legal thing where no you can't sue them no matter what happens yeah, the, wouldn't that be like a pharma. golden ticket for for if, if dupont had had something like that at the time well uh, yeah and in, in fact one of the things that's being litigated right now um in the in the united states uh, as we find out more and more water systems for example are being contaminated with these chemicals one of the products uh, that's that's historically used this stuff has been a type of firefighting foam used to combat petroleum-based fires outside military bases and airports. So um, as folks are trying to get the funding necessary to clean this up, you see the companies um, um, trying to avoid liability by arguing, well, we did this for the government. We were part of a government process, government contractors. We're immune. You can't sue us now. Wow. So yeah, similar type issues coming yeah. up, um, and and is that going well yeah. for the companies? Like, is that an actual legal argument? It's an argument that's being litigated right now, right now. Wow. Well, and then the then let's talk a little bit about their even I I think more dastardly tricks with starting how's it pronounced Chemor and the Gen X. Can you can you talk about Gen X and how they change these C eight chemicals? by changing a molecule, calling it something else. Yeah. Uh, what you see happen is as the story 
finally starts to seep out to the public, regulators, scientists about how bad PFOA is. Um, and by the way, PFOA is one of these PFOS chemicals that has eight carbons. It's eight mm-hmm. carbons attached to fluorine. Mm-hmm. So they call it a C8. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, as that information finally comes out about how bad the C8 material is, the companies finally agree to stop making that stuff. They entered into an agreement with the EPA to phase it out by 2015. And you, and you finally see people starting to come up with regulations. And that's what we were just talking about. You know, EPA is finally coming up with drinking water levels for that. Well, in the meantime, what happened is DuPont, which had been making PFOA um, after 3M pulled out of the market, mm-hmm. DuPont simply takes that material and tweaks it a bit. They knock a couple of carbons off. Instead of C8, they start making C6. They rename it Gen X, and they start using that, that chemical, Gen X, the same way they had used PFOA. It starts going into the Teflon manufacturing process. So it gets made in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and then shipped up to Parkersburg, where it goes up into the water and the air, just like PFOA did. And, and then it's getting into the drinking water now in North Carolina. In, in Wilmington, hundreds of thousands of people have discovered that this new stuff, Gen X, is in their water. And for years, when that finally was revealed, what we heard from the company was, well, um, all the science that, you, that you're talking about, that was all done on C8, on PFOA. You don't have any studies showing Gen X is a problem, and it's your burden to prove that over. that's harmful. Wow. So it's like you have to start all over oh again. And so people are really pointing to that to say, look, look at the way this system works. It takes 20 years to get to the point where we begin to regulate one of them. And at that point, the company just tweaks it, calls it something new, and we start all over again? And it's funny That's, that they that can... That can't be the way we approach these. They, yeah. can, they can take all the, do all the research and all the chemical changes and stuff to, to throw you guys off, but they can't take the time to make it any safer or a safer alternative? Well... You know, well, the, the argument was that this was going to be safer because it had fewer carbons, and the, right. the hope would be that it would not last in the body as long. But unfortunately, as the toxicity data starts to come out, it's showing it has some of the same toxicity effects as PFOA did. Yeah. In fact, when they did the cancer study in rats, they found that Gen X, this, quote, replacement chemical, caused the same three tumors that PFOA did liver, testicular, and pancreatic. So that's why uh, among one of the announcements you saw here from EPA last week was not just these new safety levels for for the C8s in drinking water, but they also announced a safety level for Gen X in Uh, drinking water. That's good. Very low, 10 parts per trillion in water. So it gives you an idea. You know, you're talking about something less than a drop in an Olympic-sized swimming pool renders that water uh, of concern. And it's actually quite so you're, a bit you're less. You're talking about infant. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, yes. I heard the first analogy, the one part in a billion was one drop in an Olympic pool. 10 per trillion is like one drop in Table Rock Lake, our, our lake down. I mean, it's it's insane. But I, I wanted to, to touch on this just a little bit more. Okay, so they just switched the camp. They changed, dropped two carbon molecules. They call it something else, and they're back in business. One of the most powerful statements was towards the end of the film and The Devil We Know, the documentary, which uh, it's, I think Netflix produced, but it is on YouTube. I encourage all of our listeners to go watch that and, more importantly, buy Robert's book, Exposure. But anyway, 
one of the gentlemen in the film said, hey, if I took arsenic, and I laced the local water supply with mm-hmm. arsenic and people died, I'd be in jail for murder. When the hell, Robert, are some of these bad actors that run these companies that knew that it was harming people, when the hell are they going to go to prison? And I think that's the only way we'll ever see changes. Well, you raise a point that I hear quite often, you know, which is why, you know, why is not really none of that ever happened here? And you have to keep in mind when you when you, if you're a private person and you're going into court like we were doing for our clients, really, you know, all you can do is, is re- recover money yeah. or some sort of injunctive relief from the court. As far as, you know, criminal issues, that's up to the government, the right. government is the one who decides whether to bring those. And in fact, the United States Department of Justice did initiate a criminal investigation into DuPont in in their handling of PFOA. This is back in 2005. Mm, I didn't know After DuPont cut, yeah, but after DuPont cut a deal with the US EPA in 2006 Mm -hmm. to finally stop making PFOA and to phase it out over the next 10 years, that DOJ investigation was just summarily dropped with no explanation. Okay, there's more collusion. I mean, right there, it's it's seeped into the judicial system, which I think we all see, and we don't need to. We we go into it in plenty of our podcasts. It seems like all branches of our government just don't represent the people anymore, and it's. I got to tell you, it's damn frustrating, man. I had no idea that the DOJ had started a criminal investigation, and that's great that they did, but. It, I mean, it should be carried out. I mean, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Well, you know, and it's it's very frustrating because what when you deal with exposing people to chemicals through the environment, you know, you're dealing with a whole system of regulation that's really revolving around the EPA and and all of those rules and standards. And essentially, that's a system that puts the burden on the exposed person mm. to prove that something's harmful. And think about it. If you were to go into a supermarket and buy this chemical, you know, as a pill or yeah. inject it, um, it would be regulated in a very different way through the FDA and, you know, where you have to prove it's safe and you have to show the dose that's safe before it goes on the market. Right. Yet here's a chemical that is put out into the world knowing if we put this out there, it's going to end up getting into people's blood. That's where it's going to end up. All right. That people will end up, this will be in your blood, just as if you had injected it, you know, or taken it as a pill. Yet it's regulated in a completely different way under our legal system, uh, where the people who are exposed really are the ones being told it's their burden to prove these things are harmful or not. And, you know, throws you into protracted legal battles that go on for decades. And then, as you mentioned, if they are found negligent, it it eventually comes on to the taxpayer to clean it up. Can you give the uh, listeners, I just read an article the other day that was extremely disturbing. And then I, I saw it again when I uh, watched your film. I had no, I mean, I knew Teflon, I'm a chef. And I was told years ago, hey, don't cook on high heat with Teflon. I don't use it at all after getting deep into your life story. I don't use Teflon at all. I'm a cast iron guy. Russell and I talked about this yesterday. Uh, but can you, I read this article that, 
and I know you know this, but I'd love our listeners if you could expand a little bit. It's in like sandwich wrappers. Like if you go to McDonald's and it's that mm-hmm. kind of, they used to use wax paper when I was a kid growing up. But now that kind of waxy looking paper is actually PFOAs, right? Yeah, I think uh, people are surprised when they start delving into this family of chemicals, these PFOS, per- and polyfluoroalkylated substances. And again, this is a whole family of chemicals that all share a very common characteristic of having carbon attached to fluorine in their chemical Fluorine, the devil's piss, by the way, right? Sorry. Yeah, (laughs) right. And it makes them incredibly strong. And it makes them very useful in in lots and lots of different manufacturing processes and products, but it also gives them this ability to stay around. That's why you hear them referred to as forever chemicals, because once they get out into the world, they don't break down, they don't go away. Well, this, this family of chemicals... You know, they haven't been just used in Teflon and cookware. And if you if you look at the way these chemicals behave and the types of products, anything that's really uh, stain resistant, waterproof, you find these types of chemicals. And, and it's um, fast food wrappers and packaging, things that keep the grease from seeping through, yeah. you know. Pizza boxes, microwave popcorn bags, uh, fast food wrappers, um, or cosmetics, you know, waterproof cosmetics, uh, you know, firefighting foams, um, you know, carpet coatings, uh, clothing, you know, like outdoor wear that keeps it waterproof. And it's just really mind boggling when you start to sit to try to figure out what are all the different types of products that these chemicals have been used in. Um, and it's it's very difficult because they haven't been regulated, so there isn't much. You know, if you try to find them on an ingredient uh, list or label, you're not going to find them. Wow. Uh, yeah, they just haven't historically uh, been been regulated in any way. And a lot of the companies using them don't even realize they're there. Yeah, the chemical mm-hmm. makers didn't necessarily even tell them they were in these products that yeah. they were using. So we're just now starting to to kind of get a grasp of the scope in, uh, of the products and the, the world of products that these things have been used in. And it's mind boggling um, because it's almost, it's very, very difficult to avoid exposure to these things. Well, I just pulled up a we picture. We are seeing though yeah, a number sorry. of companies mm-hmm. that, you know, as, as this, as the stories come out and a number of companies are realizing, Hey, maybe this has been on our product. We are seeing announcements by big fast food retailers, clothing retailers, cosmetics companies saying, we're going to move away from these. We're not Good. going to use them anymore. That's because the consumers are finally becoming aware mm-hmm. and demanding that these things be changed. And that's moving quicker than the regulatory world, which is still slowly grinding away at the federal level. Well, and that's why it's so important. And I know it's why you take the time to go on this small podcast because you feel it's important. Hey, if we can, you know, educate a hundred people today mm-hmm. about this issue that they didn't know, but it's really important. You know, I just pulled up a picture of the Ohio river Valley, you know, that, that water goes everywhere yeah. and it ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> And, and the, the, the trace amounts that you mentioned, you said, now expand on that a little bit. You said this has been found in the blood. Talk about the blood tests in the seven-year study and, and, and what they found when they started look. Oh, and also DuPont's test where they started to try and find clean blood. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's disturbing when you look at the history here um, because what you see is that 
3M and DuPont were well aware that this chemical was starting to get into the human blood supply as far back as the 1970s. In fact, it was in the late 1970s that some researchers who were actually had gone out looking for fluoride in drinking water. You remember, this was the point in time when people started fluoridating water supplies yes. for yes. teeth and cavities. Well, they were out looking for a certain type of fluoride, um, inorganic, the type that you would put in for you know, fluoride treatment. Well, they started, uh, they were looking at blood supplies across the U.S., looking for this type of fluoride. And what they found to their surprise was a different type of fluoride was also in the blood. That was organic fluoride. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't really exist in nature. And they started to try to figure out, well, where is this coming from? Hmm. And these researchers, you know, thought that maybe it was coming from these products that 3M was making. And when they alerted 3M, 3M alerted DuPont. And 3M and DuPont started testing their own workers in the late 70s. And sure enough, they were finding that these chemicals we're getting into the blood of the workers. So by the 70s, the companies knew this stuff was being found in the general U.S. population's blood. God. Workers exposed to it you know, were building up higher and higher levels. None of us were told this until decades later when all this started finally bubbling out. And what, what the testing now has shown is if, if you look at the blood supplies that have been tested, you're finding these chemicals being found in blood all over the planet not just in places where it's in the drinking water, but all over the place. And it's, and it's uh, not just humans, but we're finding it in all kinds of species. In fact, it's even being found in polar bear blood, you know, where there's been wow. no exposure to Teflon pans or oh Scotch guard. But this stuff can move um, through the environment in, in amazing ways. You know, not, not only for, you know, when manufacturing sites are using it, the stuff goes into the water or it goes into landfills, but it also goes up into the air. And the ecosystem. And it has the ability to, trans, to, to, to move through the air through clouds and then fall down in the oh, rain. Wow. So that's how you get global contamination. And unfortunately, mm. this was known going back long, long time. This is way worse uh, than but just unfortunately, water. the This is a big... Oh, yes. It's, <laughs> it's, the stuff is found not just in drinking water, but it's being found in the soil. It's being found in crops. In fact, one of the things that mm. folks are just now realizing is that you know a lot of this ends up in wastewater that goes into your local you know, wastewater utility. And then historically... That stuff, uh, you know, the biosolids, uh, the sludge mm. that these wastewater plants have generated was given away to farmers. Yeah. It's fertilizer. Compost, right. And yeah. um, unfortunately, what we're now finding out is a lot of that contained high concentrations of these PFAS chemicals. And in fact, um, there are now, there's, uh, there's been a lot of press around a, a dairy in Maine, for example, where yes. the cows um, and the, the milk was contaminated, or in New Mexico, where thousands of cows had to be euthanized, you know, that were contaminated. And we're just now starting to realize that stuff gets taken up into the soil, gets taken up into the crops, goes into the food supply. So, you know, it's, it, that's how it gets everywhere. And that's how we, it gets into almost every person. And that kind of gets back to the issue you raised, which is, you know, you've got this argument, well, this has become, this becomes too big to deal with. Um, but we have to, I mean, it's, it's a big issue, but it's one that definitely can be addressed and can be fixed. I mean, you can make the argument, this is the biggest 
most important environment environmental issue facing the planet that's the great greatest danger danger to life on the planet right now i mean i think it'd be easy to make that argument well it's it's definitely um one that i've been trying to you know i've been trying to raise awareness of this for quite some time because at least you know when you stop and start start to look at the science and you look at the scope and scale of this I think it's pretty unprecedented. Yeah. And I can't think of many other situations we've had where, you know, yes, there might be a contamination in this town or, you know, among people that use this in this particular way. But here's something that's affecting virtually everyone. Yeah. Um, and again, it's something we all ought to be paying a lot more attention to. Um, yeah. and, and I think, again, the, the announcement last week from the US EPA made clear, you know, that at least it's now gotten the attention of federal regulators here in this country. But you know, it's frustrating. Russell, was that your Google search? Was it on this issue? Yeah. It tell was. tell Robert about that. I was we were talking about it the other day in a podcast and I was looking it up and I was just looking for the, the article. Whole PFOS that I had sent. Issue. Yeah, this this whole EPA announcement. And I couldn't find anything really on it. And so I had to go to like DuckDuckGo and they were all there. I mean, but. in other words, Google has throttled this story, Robert, which should come as no surprise <clears throat> to you, huh? Well, I, I've, I've <laughs> what I can say is I have been frustrated um, observing how difficult it is to get these stories out. And even when you think it's being finally picked up and, you know, people are going to read this and um, even, you know, even with the release of the film, you know, here you have a major um, feature film with um, and, and just getting anybody to even recognize that it's there, yeah, that yeah. this is I, happening. Um, I didn't know anything you, about you, any of this. You don't want to talk about it. And my, it, I not, I didn't know any news. I didn't really know much. My girlfriend just said, Hey, you got to read this book. And I said, oh, okay, I'll get to it. And I finally got to it. I couldn't put it down. And I immediately <laughs> emailed you and was like, hey, can we talk? This yeah. is really important. Hey, let me ask you, is there any relation between fluorine and fluoride? You mentioned fluoride. And I just wondered if there's any relation. And even if there's not, what do you have any thoughts or any papers that you've read about the impact of fluoridation in water supplies? You know, that's one I've seen raised, and i be honest with you, I don't know. I don't okay. know, um, you know, what the connection would be there. Um, and, you know, I think there are folks that are looking at that, but I think you're talking about two different types I gotcha. of this chemical. You know, mm-hmm. and, if something, and again, uh, chemistry was not my, my uh, strong point in uh, <laughs> yeah, undergrad. Me, me uh, neither, bro. That's yeah, why I'm a cook. But I, yeah. Yeah, I've been educated by my experts, but I think what they would tell you is, you know, these are two different types of this material. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's completely man-made that has this ability to get into blood and have all these particular effects and one that behaves maybe a very different way. So mm-hmm. um, I'd have to defer to those experts I got on you. that. I did want to just, because I think it's important that we personalize this and Bucky Bailey's story really tugged at my heartstrings. Can you just talk for a minute about the human impact? And and I know that Wilbur Tennant was the original farmer that called you and his story just broke my heart, man. I get emotional thinking about it. I can't imagine you, him being kind of a distant friend of the family and seeing what happened to this. Talk about the just the personal human toll that you witnessed. 
Yeah, that was uh, very difficult. You know, again, this is a community that I kind of viewed as a hometown. You know, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot, but we would always go to Parkersburg, you know, for family holidays and events. And my mom grew up there and, um, you know, her her mom was there. And and, to see what was happening to to these people um, in real time, you know, on Mm -hmm. a daily basis. You know, you know, as the science was dragging on and lawyers were fighting in courtrooms, people were getting sick, real people. People were dying. You know, uh, people were losing animals, an incredible number of pets, you know, that had tumors and, and issues in that community. And, you know, to be to, to, to have to see that, uh, particularly as we were waiting, you know, we set up the scientific process to 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 confirm what the chemical could do. Well, nobody had ever done that. We had no idea how long that would take. And as you know, and as it took seven years yeah. to do that. And in the meantime, you know, people are continuing to get sick. People are dying. People are being diagnosed with cancer. And that was incredibly stressful. And I think you see some of that um, in the film. And I talk yep. about that more in the book. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that was difficult, particularly knowing, you know, we're, we're, have, you know, we're the ones that promised we could do this and we could get the answers. Um, and it's, you know, Mr. Tennant and his wife, unfortunately, didn't live, you know, to see the story come out. Both his, died of his cancer, children, right? Correct. His children, um, you know, luckily were able to see it. And I think we're happy to see the story come out. And, um, you know, but uh, this, this is impacting real people, you know, and, yeah. and they're devastating long-term impacts. I mean, my mom, and for, you know, I just lost my mom last year from I'm cancer. Um, and it's just, you know, you just see this over and over in this story, repeating over and over in communities that be, start to begin to think this is normal. You know, everybody <sighs> just dies of cancer or everybody gets these illnesses. And, and, you know, to realize that isn't normal. That shouldn't be <laughs> normal, uh, you know, but it's it's accepted almost because it's become so prevalent. And that's what really gets concerning when you step back and look at this and realize you're looking at something that's got potentially global impacts like this. And you look at these global rates of some of these diseases and it's just, it's very disturbing, um, which again is one of the reasons I'm as adamant as I am about wanting to make sure the story gets out to as many people as we can. I can't imagine the burden you personally felt. And I know you're you're a humble guy, Robert. I can tell that about you and from reading your stuff. I can tell that. But the burden you felt for these people, because I know you were under a lot of pressures, like why the hell is nothing getting done? And, you know, to try and explain this archaic, just crawling legal process to these, I can't imagine that, bro. I mean, it it had to really affect you personally and your relationships. And I don't know if you'd want to talk about it, but I feel for you, man. It was very difficult. And, you know, I, I explored a bit in the book. Um, they tried to, um, I think, address that some in the film as well. But it's, it's not easy. Um, mm. And, you know, it's incredibly difficult. And particularly as you see... As you get to the point where the science has been confirmed, you know, by independent scientists, juries have come back and said, you know, we see these facts, we agree, you know, this this caused cancer. Yet you still see these same same folks stand up and even in front of the U.S. Congress, 
you know, say that there's there's this chemical hasn't been linked with any harm yeah. or doesn't doesn't actually cause any human health effects. And to me, you know, that's it was so incredibly moving, you know, to be at the National PFAS conference in Wilmington, North Carolina last week when where the US EPA made its announcement, you wow. know, about these oh, new I didn't health guidelines. That. You know, yeah. to to see the US EPA finally come out and publicly basically acknowledge, you know, that any currently detectable level is one that we're concerned about. Wow. Um, you know, it took it took us 20 years to get to that point. Um, and it's just concerning to know, you know, how many people, um, you know, suffered and, um, um, you know, had to wait uh, way too long for that yeah. to happen. I, uh, I know we're kind of coming close on time, but I had one quick question for you. Uh, did you ever? Uh... I've got at least one more. So <laughs> Okay, we'll go one more and one more. <laughs> Did you ever like fear for your life? Because I know there was so much information that only you could could tie all this together in a way that that could hold them accountable. Did or, you ever? Feel or were afraid? you ever threatened? That too. Well, you know, you see this the scene in the film Dark Waters. You know, where I'm walking out to the parking garage, and that was mm-hmm. based on an actual event. Um, wow. You know, where after I had taken the deposition of the CEO of Dupont, mm-hmm. and I had done that in the Dupont corporate headquarters, and I was um, walking back to my car. You know, after that deposition, and it was it was late, and I was one of the only people, the only cars still in the building, and I started thinking back <laughs> to a call I had had with my parents the night before. You know, they had called me and asked you, where were you? And I mentioned where I was. And they said, well, you know, who else has all this information? Who else knows all of this? And so if you were to just disappear, does this just all go away? (laughs) So I was thinking of that as I was walking out of that deposition because I had just spent the entire day showing the CEO of DuPont all of these internal studies that they had not wanted him to have seen, you know, that he had claimed not to be aware of. Uh, so that was, that uh, definitely was going through my mind as I turned the key. Into the <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet. So I want to kind of, if we're going to wrap this up, I, I want to end on little positive and give some people some hope. And so I have a couple quick questions for you. Number one, how do we find out? We're here in Springfield, Missouri. I want to know if our water supply, which come, we know it comes from primarily a specific lake, I want to know if there's PFOS in our water supply, number one. And then number two, I've my girlfriend and I have been looking into this. Are there cur- commercial, not commercially, are there available water filtration systems that will take PFOS out? And I will say that the one I use, and I'm going to give them a plug, says zero water on their Twitter feed today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. They said with the EPA's announcement, we are pleased to announce that our filtration system removes it didn't say all but it says removes the majority of pfos so first of all how do we find out about pfos in our local water supply is can you give us any insight into that yeah uh you know the 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 extent of testing varies dramatically across the united states there are some states that have gone out and implemented statewide testing for these chemicals some states haven't done that at all um, and there's also the, the, the level of information varies depending on where you're at. The Environmental Working Group um, out of D.C. has yes. created a great database, an interactive map that's available on their website at ewg.org 
that, that kind of summarizes the places that have been tested, what those levels are, um, and at least gives you some idea, you know, of what what might already be out there. Gotcha. Um, you know, and so that's 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 available. And as far as testing, I mean, I'm sorry, filtration systems, that's an ever evolving area. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at this, this conference last week, um, there, there was a reference to there's a paper that's been published um, by folks that have been spending a lot of time on these issues. One of them is um, uh, Professor Kanape in North Carolina that actually looks at all of these different types of available filtration systems and provides an overview of which ones seem to be effective, uh, which are the most effective, that kind of thing. And wh- so if you, where can we uh, find that? Do you know? I think uh, if you if you do the search for his paper, the last name is K-N-A-P-P-E out of North Carolina. Okay. Uh, Nap- it's dealing Nappy. with PFOS water filtration systems. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome because, I mean, really, I encourage everybody. You know, we got to remember, though, too, it's not, as you mentioned, it's not just in the water. We have got to take the next step and get this stuff. You know what? I don't give a damn if my egg sticks, if my kids are going to be safe. By the way, one thing, just real quick, I wanted to mention, you talked about the blood supply, people. It is passed to your children. So if you're pregnant and you have amounts of this, right, the baby's born with it, too, correct? That's right, and that's very disturbing because yes. actually this chemical passes from the mother to child in utero through the placenta. So children are born pre-polluted with these chemicals, and they tend to have actually higher concentrations than the mother because of the blood mass difference between adults and babies. And and then they get dosed again through breast milk and possibly through the water, even when you're mixing it with formula. So that's that's there's real concern that you know you're talking about these chemicals that can. Uh, have these kinds of developmental immune system impacts, and you you're, you find higher concentrations even in the very young. And it's you know we we should say that PFAS and this range of chemicals are not the only ones. I mean, there is chemical pollutants. You know, you take the case in the 80s in civil action. What is that? Triethylchlorine or something that, you know, the the movie they made with John Travolta. I read the book. Right, right, right. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah, we've got a chemical plant here in Springfield. Mm -hmm. Syntax that for years, Wilson's Creek was the dirty, most filthy, foamy covered Creek and it dumps right into our recreational lake. So it's all over, man. We just, so I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. Russell, do you have anything else? No, no. I just appreciate you taking some time and answer a few questions for a couple fellow Midwesterners. Well, we really want to help get the word out, Robert. If there's anything we can do in this area for you and your organizations, please let us know. We're on your side a thousand percent. Do you have anything you want to promote or plug? Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, the book, Exposure, everybody needs to buy the book, rent the film, Dark <laughs> Waters, and go to Netflix and pay the fee to get on to watch uh, The Devil We Know. And, yeah, is there anything else you're working on, Robert, before we let you go? No, we're just, as I mentioned, we're still working, trying to make sure that the, the, the companies who caused this pay the costs going forward. Uh, and that's, that's the, the never-ending legal battle we're involved in right now. Yeah. and helping make sure people understand the scope of this so we can set appropriate rules and laws going forward. 
Awesome. You're a warrior, brother. We appreciate you. And we'll uh, hopefully talk to you again down the line when there's new uh, new news coming out. Yep. All right. Thanks so much. It was All a right. pleasure talking yep. with you. Thank you, you Robert. Well. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Wow. wow.